Well, good morning, everyone. Fantastic to be with you this morning. Fantastic to celebrate uh, Rod and Shell. Uh, Shell and I uh, share an office together here, and um, I love sharing an office with you, Shell. Uh, you're one of the most generous, kind-hearted people um, I've met, so really, really appreciate you. Well, I don't know about you, but I have found uh, this past week quite fascinating. Can I ask, do we have any Swifties in the room or joining us online? Any Swifties? Yeah, Taylor Swift is in the country. If you hadn't picked up on that, Taylor Swift is in the country. Uh, I don't know if you have read or seen or heard any of the reports. So uh, last weekend, 96,000 people in one concert at the MCG to see Taylor Swift. And over the three concerts that she held in Melbourne alone, uh, there were um, about 290,000 people who went to see her. Um, that 96,000 crowd, it's the biggest crowd she has played in front of in her entire career. Um, I'm not a Swifty, so this is all kind of new information for me. Um, hotels were booked out. Flinders Street Station was lit up like this um, in Tay-Tay lights, and crowds were flocking around the MCG. But what I found even more interesting is the distances that people were travelling to come and see Taylor Swift. So I read reports, there was like this um, young woman from like outback remote Western Australia who'd caught multiple flights, had gone through I think Brisbane and Sydney, come down to Melbourne uh, just to get to Tay-Tay's concert. Uh, people had come from New Zealand, uh, from Singapore. But more incredibly... There were people who came to Melbourne, and there are people in Sydney right now, because she's performing in Sydney this weekend, who came to Melbourne, who have gone to Sydney, who don't even have a ticket to one of her concerts. They don't, they, they're not, they don't even have a ticket to get in to see her in the concert, but they have come to Melbourne, they are in Sydney at the moment. Many of them hoping against hope that they will pick up a last-minute ticket from someone who doesn't need it. Um, but so many of them are just happy to be sitting outside the MCG with a whole lot of other Swifties, Taylor Swift fans, just to be part of the excitement and the atmosphere. And as one person, I read this on the ABC website just yesterday, one person said, I just want to breathe the same air that Taylor breathes. And that's why she was sitting outside the stadium in Sydney. It's amazing, isn't it? Just the excitement. And it's amazing um, just how fast some people will go to be close to someone they admire or find fascinating, someone that even though they don't know them personally, they feel some sort of inherent connection with. It's amazing the distances they will travel, the price they will pay, the sacrifices they will make, and the lengths they will go to, even for just a fleeting encounter. And over these coming weeks, we're going to delve into a range of encounters, close encounters that various people had with Jesus. Each encounter prompts us to think about our own encounters with Jesus and, more importantly, how we will respond to him. As we'll see over the coming weeks, it is encountering Jesus today that has the power to transform lives, just as it did back in the first century. And each encounter that we have is an, is an invitation for us to draw closer to Jesus. These first encounters with Jesus help us to see the power of Jesus as he changes lives, as he brings hope, healing, purpose and transformation to people from all 
walks of life. People just like us, whether we're Swifties or not. But there are two dangers, I think, really inherent as we, um, as we dig into these encounters. And the first one is this. If we've been in church for a while, many of these stories that we're going to dig into are very familiar. In fact, today's passage, I was almost reluctant to preach on it because it is very, very familiar, particularly to those of us who've called BBC home for a while. And the danger in this familiarity is that we risk kind of rolling our eyes, shrugging our shoulders, shaking our head and going, oh, not this again. I already know this. I've heard this. Now, I would never do that, obviously. No, of course not. Actually, I do. For me, there are times that I'm reading through the Gospels um, myself where I'm tempted to just kind of glance over or skip past some of these really well-known passages rather than lingering in them and contemplating them deeply. But the reason that these stories are so well known is because they are so important, which leads to the second danger. These stories of encountering Jesus are dangerous because if we take them to heart, if we lean in, if we listen, if we respond and accept the invitation of Jesus offered in each of these encounters, then our lives will never be the same again. So let's get started. Would you turn with me to Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 to 22. Uh, If you have your Bible, I would encourage you to open that up or your your device. Um, But the words will also be on the screen if you want to follow along there. One day, as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers... Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew, throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, Come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. A little further up the shore, he saw two other brothers, James and John, sitting in a boat with their father Zebedee, repairing their nets. And he called to them too. They immediately followed him, leaving the boat and their father behind. When we talk about discipleship here at BBC, we often talk about these words of Jesus in verse 19. Come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. Jesus' Jesus' invitation is for us to follow him, to be transformed by him, and to be on mission with him. Or these other words that I've really kind of taken to heart over these last 12 months, um, his invitation is to be with him, to become like him, and to do what he does. But these words that he says of come and follow me are wrapped up into this encounter that Jesus has with these fishermen, Peter, his brother Andrew, and their friends James and John. And what we see is that this encounter with Jesus led to a relationship with Jesus, a life-changing, world-changing relationship. And it's the same relationship that Jesus offers to each of us as we encounter him. But I want us this morning to just step back for a moment from this encounter. See, to really grasp the enormity of what is happening here, it is helpful. In fact, I think it's actually essential to understand what it is that Jesus is inviting these first disciples into. And for this summary, I'm really grateful to John Mark Comer in his latest book, Practicing the Way, which I highly recommend, um, uh, because he really outlines uh, this so um, clearly for us. 
So firstly, discipleship wasn't invented by Jesus. The word disciple comes from the Greek word mathetaeus and the Hebrew word talmid. And both of these words can be translated quite accurately as disciple, but they also mean student or learner or perhaps even more um, clearly, and I think a word that makes a lot more sense for us today, is apprentice. So the same words, Mathetaeus and Talmud, disciple, learner, student, apprentice. And I actually love this word apprentice because I think for us, living where we do in, uh, uh, in the time that we live in, when we think about apprentice and we think about apprenticeship, that immediately brings to mind more of the kind of the impact um, of what it was that Jesus was inviting these guys into. It's a more accurate description of what discipleship looks like and feels like. It's an apprenticeship. And discipleship or apprenticeship was the pinnacle of the Jewish educational system, sort of like a PhD or a graduate program would be for us here in Australia. So to backstep a bit more, in Jewish education, children began school around the age of five, so maybe a little bit younger, around about the same age as kids here, at the local Bet Sefer, that's the house of the book, which was equivalent to primary school here. It was connected to, a lowish Jew, uh, connected to a local synagogue, and the curriculum was the Torah. So, and in Jewish oral culture, children were taught to memorise, are you ready? The entire Torah. That's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy by the age of 12 or 13. Who here is really, really good at memorising scripture? I might, I'm, I'm nowhere near that good, I can tell you that much. So by the 12 or 13, in the entire first five books of, um, of the scripture. Now, at this point, most kids would finish up their schooling and they would apprentice um, to the family business or go and work on their family farm. For most kids, that's what would happen for them. But the best of the best, the best and the brightest from um, the Bet Safar would go into the second level of education, which was the Bet Midrash, which is the house of learning. Are you ready? By the age of 17, they would have memorised the entire Old Testament. So if you've got a Bible, you might just want to have a look and, and just kind of get the bit, like the Old Testament bit, and kind of go, imagine, so look, that's about... And that's not even that bit. It's, it's like that much. Every single word, by the age of 17, they would have memorised it. Now, at this point, if you survive that, the vast overwhelming majority would be finished with their education. But the best of the best of the best would apply to apprentice under a rabbi, under a teacher. And this was really, really hard to get into. Um, apprenticeship or discipleship under rabbi was very exclusive. Those wanting to apprentice needed to find a rabbi who they were willing to commit their life to and then pretty much beg to be taken on as a student. The rabbi would then grill the prospective student on their knowledge, their understanding and interpretation of the Torah, as well as their spiritual practices. Then, and only then, if the rabbi thought the student had the intellect um, and the worth ethic, ethic, or as John Mark Homer put it, the, chut, the chutzpah, um, to be worthy of apprenticeship, they would invite the student to follow me, come and be my disciple. It was almost unheard of, oh, sorry, it wasn't unheard of uh, for a rabbi or a teacher to choose their disciples, but it was incredibly rare and it was radical. 
Once a disciple was accepted, they would commit to following and serving their rabbi. This wasn't like signing up to a uni course um, where you turned up for lectures kind of three times a week. We've got any uni students in the room, you know. Um, it was a 24-7 commitment. To live alongside the rabbi, disciples would leave their home, their family, work and community to follow their teacher. And the three driving goals of apprenticeship were these. To be with your rabbi, to become like your rabbi, and then one day for your rabbi to tell you that you were ready to go out and do what your rabbi did. And this is still what it means for us to be a disciple or an apprentice today. But it was only ever the best of the best of the best. And here is Jesus seeking out and calling to follow him a group of fishermen. They would have apprenticed under their father and they would have been in line to take on the family business. But they were not the best of the best of the best. They weren't at the pinnacle of Jewish education. In the eyes of other rabbis, they would not have even been considered. But Jesus chooses them. And once again, we see God moving in a way that flips the traditional system on its head. Once again, we see God not choosing the traditionally accepted people. Throughout the Old Testament, we see the Holy Spirit at work, not in the best of the best of the best, but rather in those who have a heart of humility, those who are willing to yield, to surrender, as Dave reminded us last week, to God's leading. My husband, Andy, um, said to me just during the week, uh, a couple of days ago, Jesus is looking for devoted followers, not perfect students. I just want to make a quick side note here. I don't want us to get the wrong idea. Um, Jesus doesn't restrict the call of discipleship um, to just the best of the best. He doesn't restrict it to those who are not the best of the best of the best. Okay, I'm going to get my words mixed up like Matt did before. Because um, sometimes we can look at this and go, oh, okay, so it, if you're the best of the best of the best, then that's kind of, you know, you're not out. Jesus is just looking for humble kind of fishermen, that sort of thing. But that's not true. As we heard a couple of weeks ago when um, Dave was preaching on Vision Sunday, one of the people that Jesus called was the Apostle Paul. And Paul was one of the best of the best of the best, according to the Jewish tradition. He, uh, he apprenticed himself. He was a disciple of, uh, let me get the name right, Gamaliel, who was a famous rabbi of the day. Um, and so it's, this is not, a, it's not an only one category that Jesus chooses from. But again, um, Paul had this heart that was willing to surrender to Jesus and in, in the close encounter that he had in him. Um, and he never would have become the man that we know him to be if he hadn't have surrendered. And I encourage you, if you didn't hear Dave's message on Vision Sunday, to go back and have a listen to that. But back to the fishermen. As we look at this encounter between the first disciples and Jesus, it may seem that they made a foolhardy and rash decision. And I remember um, like years ago, kind of reading this for the first time, going, oh man, that's really crazy. They kind of meet Jesus for the very first time. They know nothing about him and all of a sudden they're leaving everything behind. It actually seems quite foolhardy. But what did these fishermen really know about Jesus? And how could they know that he was worthy of such an immediate and complete sacrifice? Well, thankfully, Luke and John's gospel accounts give us some more context. Um, John's gospel tells us that Andrew, um, Peter's brother, uh, meets Jesus first, spends some time with him, and then races home to tell Peter that he has met the Messiah, God's chosen anointed one. 
Um, we also read in these other gospel accounts of Jesus, Jesus performing miracles and teaching, some of which these men knew and experienced firsthand. So these accounts reassure us and they reassure me that the decisions that these guys made weren't rash and unintelligent. They had experienced the power and the teaching of Jesus, even if just a small amount. They didn't follow him blindly or without any knowledge. They knew that Jesus was special, for want of a better word, and they had this inkling that perhaps he was even the Messiah, but they certainly knew he was a very special rabbi. And to me, this makes this encounter even more remarkable. These men would never, ever have thought themselves eligible, worthy or good enough to ask Jesus to be his apprentices. It would never have crossed their minds that they could do that because they weren't the best of the best of the best. Just imagine for a moment what it would have been like for these first disciples, having seen and heard Jesus teach and perform miracles and for him to then single them out and invite them to be taught by him. Jesus chooses them despite their apparent lack of qualification, lack of traditional process, lack of formality, lack of following the normal path. He chooses these people who he wants and he invites them to follow him. And it's the same invitation that Jesus extends to you and me. Come and be with me, walk with me, spend time with me. Let me show you the way to live and you will become like me, Jesus says. Be part of my kingdom work right where you are. Do what I do and see the lives of others transformed. But like these first disciples, we don't have all the answers. We don't exactly know where our discipleship with Jesus will lead us. But what we do know is that we get to be with him. We get to become like him and we get to do what he did. And thankfully, we don't need to be the best of the best of the best to be called by Jesus. I want you to take a moment to let that sink in. You don't need to be the best of the best of the best to be an apprentice of Jesus. No matter how average or ordinary or even below ordinary we may think we are. Even if we've had people speak words of rejection and condemnation over us in the past. No matter how well we did or didn't do at school, at work, at uni or at home. Whether we have a PhD or we left school at 15. Jesus sees our heart and he sees our potential. And Jesus' invitation is for us to be with him, to become like him and to do what he did. But it's one thing to be called by Jesus to follow him. It's another thing altogether to respond the way these first disciples did. And how do they respond? They immediately left everything and followed Jesus. 
Matthew and each of the other gospel writers highlight the urgency, immediacy and wholeheartedness of the disciples' response to Jesus' call. They didn't hesitate to follow him. They left behind whatever it was that they needed to leave behind so that they could be with Jesus. The encounter of these men to Jesus' invitation meant that this close encounter with Jesus led to a relationship with Jesus, a lifelong, eternal relationship. The whole trajectory of their lives, the whole course of their lives was completely transformed by their response to Jesus' invitation. One of the reasons that each of us is sitting here today or joining us online can be traced back in some way to the response of these first disciples to the call of Jesus to follow him. At BBC this year, we've um, pioneered a leadership development pipeline and we've welcomed a cohort of six people uh, into this group who are really wanting to dig into their leadership potential and calling. And last Monday, um, I was meeting uh, with the group and several of us, one of the things we did last week is we just shared the stories of when we accepted Jesus' invitation to become his disciple. And each story was completely different. And yet every single one of us had had an encounter with Jesus where we made this decision, this life-changing decision to accept his invitation to follow him. And for me, that decision came in one one of the darkest times of my life. That's when the invitation came. I had grown up in church. I had called myself a Christian pretty much my entire life. But in the two years leading up to this specific encounter that I had with Jesus, I had been living my life as if God did not exist. And it was into this time of my life when I felt the least qualified, the least worthy, the least forgivable that I encountered Jesus. And I made the decision to follow him, to be with him, and to do what he did for the rest of my life. It was a life-changing, purpose-changing moment in time. It was a time when an encounter with Jesus led to a relationship with Jesus. And my life has been profoundly different from that moment on. But here's the strange thing. I think the older I get, the more unqualified I feel to be an apprentice of Jesus. I don't say that in some kind of derogatory, self-pitying kind of way. Like it's not, like I'm not being harsh on myself or anything. And it's not a backhanded way of trying to get you to come and encourage me after the service, okay? So it's nothing like that. It's just as I walk through life... And I seek to know Jesus better. And as I grow in my own understanding of who I am, I'm so much more aware even today of how broken and unqualified I am. I'm so aware of of how far off I am from being anywhere near the best of the best of the best. 
but it also makes me love him more. To know that he's extended to me this invitation in all my brokenness, in all my pain, in all my failure, in all my sin. He's given me this opportunity to become like him, to be with him, to do even a small amount of what he did. And I'm so deeply, profoundly humbled and grateful. And it makes me want to be more like him. And it's because of this that I want to encounter Jesus more, to go deeper in my relationship with him, to continue to hear his voice inviting me to be with him, showing me how to be like him and to do what he would do. And that's what he wants for each and every one of us, to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that he sees us and that he chooses us. He sees you and he chooses you. But we have to respond. And the way that we respond when we encounter Jesus really does matter. So these first disciples, they could have said no. They could have had this close encounter with Jesus. They could have looked into the eyes of God himself and gone back to their fishing nets. And there were plenty of others who encountered Jesus in the first century, throughout history and today, who have made that same decision to just say no. We get a little bit of a glimpse in this in the contrast between the disciples and the crowds that followed Jesus. So I just want to quickly read this to you from Matthew chapter 4, these these following verses um, after Jesus has called the first disciples. It says, Jesus travelled throughout the region of Galilee, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. News about him spread as far as Syria and people soon began bringing to him all who were sick. And whatever their sickness or disease, if they were demon-possessed or epileptic or paralysed, he healed them all. Large crowds followed him wherever he went. People from Galilee, the ten towns, Jerusalem, from all over Judea and from the east of the Jordan River. Now, don't get me wrong, this is not about being harsh or critical of the crowds, okay? We have to remember that Jesus' heart is for the crowds. As he teaches, as he performs miracles, it is always his heart that these people will choose to follow him. But there is also this sense in the crowds here at this stage, primar- that, 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 sorry, there's also this sense that the crowds primarily at this stage are seeking Jesus for what they can get from him. They want an encounter that will bring relief from their current pain and sickness. They're caught up in the excitement and the thrill, but this doesn't mean they're disciples. It doesn't mean that they have made the commitment and the sacrifice to Jesus that mark out the life of apprenticeship. For many in the crowd, the encounter never translates to relationship. Not because they've been rejected by Jesus, but because of their response to him. We see later in the Gospels that there are many in the crowd who abandon Jesus because they feel like his teaching is too hard to live up to. 
there are many in the crowd who do follow Jesus and who do become disciples, but there are many who just say, this is too hard for me. It is the crowd that welcomes Jesus into Jerusalem in the excitement of the triumphal entry of Palm Sunday, only days later to be the same crowd who demand Jesus' crucifixion. Apprenticeship to Jesus, discipleship is not being part of the crowd where we're trying to get close to Jesus to get our needs met and a hurt healed without any surrender or sacrifice on our part. Discipleship is an invitation into deep relationship with Jesus. Jesus invites us into a new way of life. It's a life that requires sacrifice and surrender, but also a life that is filled with hope and love, where we are with Jesus and over time we become more like him in every way. And we see this clearly in the lives of the first disciples. The difference in um, people like Peter and John, who are forever changed from uh, life as humble fishermen to a life transformed to be like Jesus. And if we look closely, we see it in the people around us who follow Jesus wholeheartedly, surrendering their whole life to him and becoming more like him. So last weekend and this weekend, but last weekend, nearly 300,000 people paid massive amounts of money, spent weeks planning their outfits, and travelled hundreds, even thousands of kilometres to simply be in the crowd um, at, the, at the concert of a pop singer. They made sacrifices, they planned, they prepared, they did everything to be in the presence of the musician they admire. Today and every day, you and I are invited into the presence to encounter, to be with the creator of the universe who gave his life and died for us. Jesus invites us to not merely be one of the crowd, but to be with him, to walk with him, to learn from him, to apprentice ourselves to him and to become like him. The question is, how will we respond? So as I've been preparing for today, these are some of the ways that I think that Jesus might want us to respond. For some in the room, this may be, or with us online, this may be the opportunity for the very first time to put your trust in Jesus. It might be that you've been feeling him um, drawing you, whatever that might look like or sound like in your world. It might be that you have, um, there are people in your life who've been talking to you about Jesus. Maybe you've been coming here for a little while, but you've never actually taken that step of saying, Jesus, I put my trust in you and I will follow you. I want to be with you. I want to become like you. And this morning, um, as our prayer team come down later on this morning, as um, Matt and Dave and I and others in the team are down the front, if that is you, we want to talk to you, we want to pray with you, we want to encourage you and we want to help you on that journey. But for some of you, it's a first-time response. For some, the question um, this morning might be, where are you in the story? Do you feel like you're more in the crowd or do you feel like you're on the dusty road with Jesus following him close behind? Because if you're in the crowd, Jesus' heart for you is that you would not be in the crowd, but you would be with him closely every day following him. 
had a strong sense as well leading into this morning. That for some of you, the question Jesus would ask is, what do you need to put down, leave behind, surrender or sacrifice in order to take up his invitation to follow him completely? Peter, Andrew, James and John and every other disciple that we read about in the New Testament had to put something down in order to follow Jesus completely. Is there something in your life that you know is holding you back from following Jesus wholeheartedly? Something holding you back from being with him, becoming like him and doing what he is calling only you to do. And for others of us, it's a renewed response this morning that he's calling us to. Perhaps you're here this morning and maybe you've, been, you've just become a bit comfortable, a bit complacent, maybe even a little bit cold or critical or dispassionate. And Jesus' invitation to you this morning is an invitation to renewed love, a renewed and deeper passion for him. Would you stand with me this morning? As we come into um, this series of encountering Jesus of close encounters, I feel so strongly that this is an invitation that Jesus offers each of us to come with hearts of humility and surrender. We're going to look at stories like this one this morning that for some of us are really, really familiar. They're stories we know really, really well. But in each story, there is an invitation from Jesus to draw near to Him, to surrender to Him, to be with Him, to be transformed by Him, and to be committed to the mission that He calls us to. And so whatever it is that God is calling you specifically to respond to this morning, I want us to come into this time of prayer and worship now with a heart of humility and and just to say to God, I surrender to you. So would you join me as I just lead us in prayer for a moment? Lord, I thank you for your invitation. Jesus, your invitation to follow you, to be with you. We don't have to be the best of the best of the best. But where we are right now, whether we have a PhD, whether we're 90 years old or we're eight years old, or wherever it is that we are today, your voice calls out to us saying, come, follow me. And I will teach you how to fish for people. Come and be with me. Come and become like me. Come and do what I do. Lord, for those this morning where this is an opportunity to put their trust in you for the first time, Lord, I pray for an encounter with you.
Lord, for those in the room where you're asking them to lay something down, to surrender, to sacrifice, to leave something behind. Lord, I thank you that you speak in moments like this. Lord, that you are not, um, you don't want to confuse us. Lord, that there are specific things coming to mind for people right now. Lord, I pray for hearts of surrender. If it's you just in your heart, just agree with him. Just agree with him about what you need to do and then commit to doing that. And it might be good, it might even be essential for you to talk to someone you trust about that after this morning's service. And Lord, for all of us, would you give us hearts of humility, hearts of surrender? Would you help us to yield to the leading of your Spirit? As we encounter you, would you give us hearts that respond to you in faith and trust and with wholehearted, immediate commitment, knowing that you are the one who brings life and joy in all of its fullness. And we worship you this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship the Lord together as we respond to him.